This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Welcome to Viewpoint, my friends. We're talking today about Russia. We're talking today about the U.S. We're talking today asking the question, is it possible that numerous different things that seem to be on the opposite side of the ledger could all be true at the same time. Is it possible that rather than always taking a either-or view, perhaps we should be willing to take a both-and view on many issues, particularly as it relates to Russia, particularly as it relates to the U.S., particularly as it relates to Well, the behaviors of these respective countries, our country and the one that I was taught to very much dislike, if not hate, growing up. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to explore some different ideas here, and I'm glad that you have joined us. Uh, No, I am not a supporter of Russia. Want to get that out right off the bat? I am not a supporter of Russia. So there might be someone who would take excerpts from today's program and say, did you hear what he said? He's a supporter of Russia. No, I'm not a supporter of Russia. I'm not a supporter of Vladimir Putin in and of itself. I am a supporter of the fact that he uh, has stated that the United States of America seven years ago, I believe he said, the United States of America had become the center of moral debauchery and He also said at the same time that Russia had become the moral center of the earth. Well, I don't know that I can agree with that either, but I can agree with the fact that America has exported debauchery all over the world over the past 50 years. Well, you see, both of those things can be true or not true or to some extent true at the same time. And one of the problems that we have as Americans and as Christian Americans is that we are tempted to go all or nothing in certain ways, certain areas, so that it actually prevents us from understanding the bigger picture that is taking place. And the bigger picture is not just a linear picture that it's all U.S., it's all Russia, it's all Iran, it's all Israel, it's all this, it's all that. No, this is a much, much bigger and more complex issue. For instance, today, the news announces... The attorney representing Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who died suddenly while in prison, has been arrested by Russian authorities. Wow. On the one hand, I can say, I'm not surprised. On the other hand, I can say, didn't something like that just happen in America? Indeed it did. Indeed it did on steroids. I have in my hands right now. Chris Kuhn, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, or Caney, was sentenced last Friday for his actions on February, January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Well, just that statement alone would say, well, see, he was guilty. Was he guilty, and what was he guilty of? He was a 22-year veteran who received numerous medals and awards, including the Purple Heart a Navy Condemnation Medal with Valor, and a Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal with Valor for actions in combat. In fact, they found absolutely nothing 
that he did that would cause him to be arrested and his home raided by the FBI. But they did it anyway. And then, because by virtue of the fact that he was raided, and because he was in the vicinity, you see, of what was going on on January 6th, he was necessarily guilty. But he was set up by an FBI operative who was embedded in the Kansas City group before January 6th. And that's on the record. So, on Friday, February 23rd, in a D.C. courtroom, the decorated war veteran was picking up trash, who who had been picking up trash at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, was sentenced to 75 days in prison, 60 days of home detention, two years of probation, and his whole family has been cauterized for the rest of their life because of what the FBI did back when they arrested him. What's the difference? What's the difference between Vladimir Putin arresting, charging Mr. Navalny? They didn't like, he didn't like the fact that Mr. Navalny was opposed to his presidency and thought that he was a tyrant. So he decided to make up a charge and put him in prison. And then that was not enough because, well, he might get out of prison and it might cause more problems for the president who's running again for re-election. So he charged him again, added more years to his prison sentence. And then it wasn't enough, so he added more years to it. I think it was a total of 19 years. And Mr. Navalny was there suffering in the northern freezing cold of Russia in a secret prison where he just amazingly, a man in his 40s, amazingly got suddenly unhealthy and just died. Now, that was not enough, and so Mr. Putin has to get rid of His attorney, Alexei Navalny's attorney. So here's the record. Earlier this week, Navalny's spokesman stated that after his body was released, the family could not even find a funeral home willing to host a service for him. Why is that? Because to do so from Vladimir Putin's position would be, oh, you're part of that January 6th bunch. You're part of that bunch that doesn't like me. Well, I'll show you. So they couldn't even find a place for him to be released in a funeral home, Mr. Navalny. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what has happened in our country, the land of the free, that seems to be increasingly becoming only the home of the brave? It is. It's exactly like what's happening here. Isn't it? Now, it's hard for us to accept that. It's hard for us to say, well, you know, that's just a very unique thing. Is it unique that over a thousand people, people who were just found through all kinds of uh, tracking mechanisms, 
with cell phones to have been in the area of the Capitol on January 6th were arrested. They weren't arrested because they did anything or that they were found to have done anything that was criminal. It was all made up. Because by definition, if you were in the area, you were necessarily opposed to the government and Joe Biden and his re-election. And therefore, by definition, you must be imprisoned, even in solitary confinement, until we can convince you to lie in order to convict Donald Trump. That's America, friends. We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismar. Viewpoint does determine destiny, friends. And we need, as Christians, to be willing to see things not through, shall we say, politically correct eyes, but through biblical eyes. We need to see things for what they really are. For instance, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders of his day whether they be Sadducees or publicans, whether they be Sadducees or the Pharisees, it didn't matter. The only difference between them primarily was one believed in the resurrection and the other did not. But they were leaders of Israel. They were the religious leaders of Israel. They were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise, and were proud of it. Oh, were they proud of it. And so... Jesus even talked about how they made displays of their great prayers uh, on the corners of the city and saying, oh, Lord God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like other people. I'm not like these publicans. I'm not like them. And so they displayed with holding up their hands and on the street corners and their phylacteries and all of the great trappings of religion. And Jesus said, you know what? You guys say that Abraham is your father. You're all proud of it. But if Abraham were your father, you would do the works of Abraham, wouldn't you? You would be like him, but you're not. He said, not only is Abraham not your father, but you're of your father the devil. That's what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day who were accepted as the pontificators of God's glory for Israel. They were the big cheese. They were the displayers of Israel's righteousness and holiness before God. Not so. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, 
Jesus excoriated them, and he said, you are a bunch of whited sepulchers. You're hypocrites. You're full of dead men's bones. On the outside, your cup looks nice and shiny and clean, but inside it is filthy. You guys are not who you say you are. You're not what Israel thinks you are. You are something quite different. Question, what would Jesus say to America today? Oh, you didn't expect that question to come, did you? What would Jesus say to America today? Would he say anything different to America than he's saying to Russia? I mean, I can think of a whole lot, a raft of different things. For instance, and by the way, in asking that question, some might say, oh, are you trying to support Russia? No, I'm not trying to support Russia at all. I don't support Russia. I don't support Vladimir Putin. On the other hand, there is a level of hypocrisy that we are showing in our country that is so damaging to the name of Christ, to the very spirit of what we claim our country to be and have been, that we are actually destroying it from the inside out. We're full of dead man's bones. And it's not pretty. And God cannot bless our country because of this. An article just came out to me today concerning the question, is America a Christian nation? Well, I guess it depends on how you answer the question. If you look at our founding, if you look at the ideas that birthed our country, yes, indeed, it is. it was a Christian nation. Is it a Christian nation today? Hardly. Even the Christians don't live like Christians. All the studies for the past 20 years prove that. The behavior of the so-called Christians is not Christian. It's just like the rest of the world. So how about Russia? What's going on over there? Well, they believe, I didn't say I believe this, they believe that they are a Christian nation. Does that come as a shock to you? They do. They not only believe they're a Christian nation, they believe, based upon a prophecy that took place 1,500 years ago, they believe that they are the inheritors of the original church of Jesus Christ, that they are the pure church of Jesus Christ, and are the one in the world to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. That's what they believe. I didn't say you believe that. I didn't say I believe that. I didn't say you should believe that. That's what they believe. Now, do they have a history that would be to the contrary? For instance, during the 70 years of the Bolshevik Revolution and the rule of the USSR and Joseph Stalin and and Vladimir Lenin and all of those? Absolutely. They kicked God out of the country. They said there is no God here. In fact, an article that just came out uh, a couple of days ago from the Russian Times is headlined, There's No God Here. How conflict between the Orthodox Christian Church and the Soviet Union helped define modern Russia. We don't know much about modern Russia, not really. 
We think we do because of what we knew about the Soviet Union. But we don't know very much about modern Russia. All we really know is Vladimir Putin. So, the reason I'm bringing these things up is to help us to reason together that, first of all, with regard to our own country, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be, or what we think she used to be. Yes, we had a goodly and godly heritage. I thank God for that. I thank God that my wife's heritage came over here in the Puritan entry in 1630. I thank God that uh, my wife's great, 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 great uncle, I think it was, was the first president of the United States of America under the Articles of Confederation. That was before George Washington. Are we proud of it? No. It's just a fact. It's a fact. We can be thankful that we had a good and godly heritage. Was everybody in that troop godly? No. It's very hard to find godly people in our churches today in America. We're so full of adultery from pulpit to pew that it stinks before the Lord of glory. Our churches are filled with cohabitors. That's biblically called fornicators. That are being accepted and received by pastors, yes, and even in evangelical churches. So who are we anyway? Maybe we need a heavy dose of humility in our country to realize that we are no picture of holiness or righteousness before God. And he's the one that will judge the quick and the dead. Not Republicans or Democrats. God is going to judge the quick and the dead. He is going to be the final judge. He's going to determine what was righteous and what was not. What is holy and what is not. Right? Now, do I agree with this headline that Russia is deepening ties with the global axis of evil? That just came from the Jerusalem Post yesterday. Absolutely, I agree with that. Do I agree that the United States has been doing a dance, a deceptive dance around the world with regard to using Ukraine for its own purposes and power? Yes, I believe with that too. I know that to be the truth. You see, it's not always either or. There is a both-andness about this. And if we think that it's always either or and that we wear the white hat and everybody else wears the black hat, there will never be any revival or repentance in this country, ever. And that's why there hasn't been for the past 50 years, notwithstanding all of the prayer that's gone up and all of the claims for revival, we have not been willing to recognize 
that we didn't wear a white hat before God in our churches. So even God's warmest audience in our congregations, in our churches, was not right before God. In many respects, we were no more holy than the Russian Orthodox Church binding itself to Vladimir Putin as administration. When Christians, professing Christians, came out and supported George W. Bush as a wonderful evangelical Christian, and I heard him speak personally at the National Religious Broadcasters back during his administration. Not once before that warm audience did he ever confess Christ as his Savior, did he ever even mention the name of Jesus. But he did wink at them. That was his signal, well, you got to know I'm one with you. But that very same man... After after uh, 9-11, within days, said Jews, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God. And then within two weeks later, he said all religions worship the same God. In other words, he said that he was in effect saying Jesus Christ is not the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There are many ways. Yet he continued to be celebrated as a wonderful evangelical Christian that the whole evangelical community in America could glom onto with glory and that we have this wonderful expression of godliness in the White House. Did George W. Bush do some good things? Yes, he did. I'm not here to attack George W. Bush. He was who he was. I mean, even his wife went on national television and said, I never heard him claim to be a born-again Christian. But we, as Christians, were willing to make that part of our narrative to justify ourselves in a very strange way before God and before the world. But the world does not see us the way we see ourselves. God does not see us the way we see ourselves. Did you know that? Are you able and willing? Are we able and willing to admit that? As the Apostle Peter said, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we need to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt us in due season, In the meantime, casting all of our care upon him, for he cares for us individually. So, you may think, well, you know, where is this going? What is this all about? This is about to help us to come to grips with truth. That the world isn't what we think it is or what we want it to be in various situations. And it's not just us against them. It's not just the white hats against the, the the black hats. That's what's happened in this country. One group is called the black hats, the other is the white hats. We call them blue states and red states, politically. So, are the blue states primarily God-fearing people? Absolutely not. Just the opposite. 
Are the red states 100% God-fearing people? Absolutely not. There are many so-called conservatives within the red states that are not necessarily God-fearing people, and they're not Christians. But there's a predominance, comparatively speaking, comparatively speaking, in the red states of God-fearing people as opposed to those in the blue states. So the real issue is not black hat versus white hat. The real issue is, are we, as individual believers, walking in righteousness and in holiness before God? Because only to the extent that you and I are walking that way can we say that our family, that our state, our city, and our country is walking that way. We'll be right back to Russia again. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. What do you think would be meant by the term the baptism of Russ? The baptism of Russ. Well, you're about to find out. And it has a lot to do with Russian history and how they see themselves. Not how you see them. Not necessarily how God sees them, but how they see themselves. We know that religion was a major part of Russia. In fact, Russia actually became the inheritor of the Eastern Orthodox Church, which was the then deemed to be the Catholic Church, the only Catholic Church that was remaining true to the Bible, that had relocated to Constantinople. But when the Muslims came in and tore into Constantinople and destroyed, it sent the Orthodox Christians that were then in Constantinople scurrying. And where did they go? They went to Moscow. So Moscow then became known as the repository of the true Christian church as opposed to the Roman Catholic Church. It was deemed to be heretical. So from Russia, the Russian viewpoint historically, going back four times earlier, well, 
not four times earlier. About 1,500 years ago, though, yeah, almost four times earlier than the United States of America was even thought of. At that time, a prophet voice by the name of Falofi came out and said that Moscow and the church at Russia was the final expression of the true Catholic Church, and there would be a, never be another. In other words, the conviction was that the final repository of the Christian faith was to be in Russia, and that was their viewpoint. You say, well, how did that pan out during the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks and all of that from 1917 and forward until 1988 or so? Well, they still had, even the godless still had this idea that Russia was to be the leader of the world. That's where communism came from. Leninism, Marxism took its hold in Russia. So what did they do? They got rid of the church as best they could. They attacked it over and over again. It was massive persecution against the Russian Orthodox Church and their leadership. I have in front of me a history of all that coming from Russia. It just came two days ago, saying there is no God here. But they're not talking about no God here now. They're talking about there was no God then. All right. So we're going to leapfrog now forward to 1988. Here's what happened in 1988. The final years of the Soviet Union. The church gained some ground. That is, the Russian Orthodox Church gained some ground in the final years of the Soviet Union after Mikhail Gorbachev came to power and launched Pestroika. There was a move towards a democratic society and respect for rights and freedoms of citizens, including the right to profess religion and freedom of speech. It didn't look like what we have today, but there was a strong movement that way. Well, the church there began to benefit from the democratization in 1987. With the Orthodox finally able to come out of the shadows, and here's what happened. In 1988, it marked a historical date in Russia. It was the 1,000th anniversary of the baptism of Rus, R-U-S, which is what Russia, that was the initial terminology that described what we now know as Russia. On that occasion, surrounded by reporters, Mikhail Gorbachev met with Patriarch Pimen in the Kremlin. Gorbachev called the baptism of Rus, quote, a significant milestone in the centuries-old formation of national history, culture, and Russian statehood, unquote. All right. So let me take you back to 988 A.D. In 988 A.D., there was a guy by the name of Vladimir. Not Vladimir Putin. Another Vladimir. 
He was the key leader of Kievan Rus. You know Kiev, the capital of Ukraine? It was Vladimir in 988 that introduced Christianity to Kievan Rus. That was before Russia, as we know it, even existed. In fact, that's where it all came from. From Kievan Rus. Now, over a period of time, through just as we see here in this country, we see in various places around the world, a lot of things changed. And things moved to St. Petersburg, and they moved to Moscow. But the heartthrob, the religious or spiritual heartthrob and root was in Kievan Rus. That's why, in 1988, Mikhail Gorbachev, the head of the Soviet Union, marked that as the 1,000th anniversary of the baptism of Rus. In other words, the introduction of the Christian faith to what would ultimately become Russia. In the meantime now, Ukraine had been separated from Russia under the Soviet Union and was given its opportunity to become its own country. And so there developed competition between Kievan Rus and the Orthodox Church as residing in Ukraine and the Russian Orthodox Church. So now the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church are deemed to wear white hats and black hats with regard to each other. The Russian Orthodox Church embracing Vladimir Putin and his goals to reclaim Ukraine and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church seeking to reject and do whatever it can to, uh, shall we say, for all practical purpose, excommunicate the Russian Orthodox Church so that the political power can reside in Ukraine. So in both instances, the church has become a political agency. If we don't understand that, we can't understand the dynamics of what is taking place with Russia and Ukraine. But those aren't the only dynamics. You've got the United States. You've got the United States now that's entering into it as a supposed God-fearing nation. Attempting to, shall we say, co-opt, in a sense, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church to engage in the U.S.'s battle against Russia for political domination, ostensibly to protect the West, 
to what degree ultimately that is truth, we still don't know. You can surmise, you can think you know, but the reality is if you go back to uh, uh, 2014, you find that the situation that was arising then was so tumultuous and Vladimir Putin was warning the West not to come any closer. And believe it or not, I have in my hands today the story, not from Russia, but from the U.S. As to what really happened there, for instance, the World Tribune gives us this headline. New York Times says, yes, it's true, the CIA is fighting Russia versus via Ukraine, using Ukraine, because the CIA constructed 12 secret locations along the Russian border with Ukraine to turn the country into an intelligence-gathering hub for the United States, according to a February 26th report coming from the New York Times. The CIA built a network of secret outposts in Ukraine in order to gather intelligence along the Russian border, even and long before the current war began. And the base was fully financed, almost fully financed, and partly equipped by the CIA. So, the CIA had been involved in Ukraine since prior to Russia's invasion of Crimea in 2014. John Brennan, does that name ring a bell, my friends? John Brennan, one of the most outspoken voices against Donald Trump, on behalf of Joe Biden, John Brennan, who was CI director at that time, told officials that the CIA was interested in developing a relationship, but only at the pace the agency was comfortable with. So, according to the Times, during the coup, the maiden coup there, an unmarked U.S. plane carrying the head of the CIA landed in Kiev. His role was to fuse the CIA and new Ukraine intel services into a regime to wage shadow war on Russia. His name? John Brennan. Be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today we're dealing with some inconvenient, un- inconvenient uh, truths, situations with regard to our world, with regard to the 
Russian-Ukrainian issue, with regard to the Russian-Ukrainian and American issue, with regard to spirituality in Russia and Ukraine and the U.S. You see, you have to look at the bigger picture. Otherwise, you cannot form an honest viewpoint. You just can't. You might want to, but you can't. Yes, indeed. As the Jerusalem Post says, yesterday, Russia is deepening ties with the global axis of evil. I agree. The growing ties between Tehran and Moscow come as Iran has increased its military activity against Israel through attacks by the proxy groups Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthis. Russia is deepening its ties with global forces of destabilization. Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Gilad Erdogan, told the General Assembly on Monday. Erdogan's comments came ahead of the Moscow parley holding this week with Palestinian factions, including Hamas. This week, said Mr. Erdogan, not Erdogan, but Erdogan from, uh, from Israel, Russia will be hosting a Hamas delegation in Moscow. He told the United Nations General Assembly in New York, Russia is one of the only places outside of the Middle East where Hamas terrorists and Houthi jihadists are given the red carpet treatment even after October 7th. He also added that this meeting in Moscow is a result of something more dangerous. Russia is now deepening its ties with global forces of destabilization. He's absolutely right. What might those include? It doesn't just include Iran. It doesn't just include Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthis. It includes, friends, the BRICS nations. How do you think the BRICS nations came together? Because of the attack and the response of the West to Russia with regard to Ukraine. That was the biggest motivating factor. It united China and Russia in ways that they could not otherwise have been united. And between the two of them, brought in Brazil and South Africa and India. And now the BRICS nations are glomming on the nations that have been felt out outside, unreceivable to the West, are now glomming on to the BRICS nation's identity to be included, and that is becoming one of the global forces of destabilization economically in our world. And it happened, you can call it the law of unintended consequences, whatever you want to call it, but it happened because of a response to Ukraine and Russia as a result of Russia's attack against Ukraine that was an attack because of our response through the CIA to set up outposts along the edge of Ukraine against Russia long before the war ever started. You see, we don't hear those things. We're not made aware of the bigger picture. Now, I want to make this comment before we go on with Mr. Erdogan's uh, statements there before the UN Security Council. The reality is 
that God has a bigger picture than any of us see in its totality, including myself. God has a much bigger picture. He doesn't see things the way we do linearly across this planet in a uh, two-dimensional way. He has a three- or four-dimensional way, maybe a five-dimensional way of looking at our world and history. And that what seems to escape us. So what is happening, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with each aspect of it, vis-a-vis Russia, vis-a-vis the United States, vis-a-vis Moscow, vis-a-vis Erdogan, whatever. The reality is that every single one of these things is moving us inexorably into the final stages of biblical history and prophecy. Now, if we can accept that, then we can begin to get our own lives in, a, in order and in accordance not with the geopolitical narrative, but with God's narrative. Is that making any sense? Now, from Erdogan from in, in Israel, he's talking about Ukraine and Israel. He says, both of our countries, Ukraine and Israel, are fighting a battle for our survival. Underscoring that Jerusalem and Kiev were standing strong together in solidarity while the free world stands on the sidelines divided. It's true. But here's what we don't want to recognize. That is, the West and America is doing to Israel and Jerusalem exactly what so many say we shouldn't be doing to Ukraine. In other words, we should be embracing Ukraine with another $65 billion after $120 billion poured out there. But we don't want to give too much to Israel because, quite frankly, the Biden administration doesn't have any love affair with Israel, notwithstanding their, their protestations to the contrary, just like Mr. Obama despised Israel and did everything he could to mock Benjamin Netanyahu. We're, we're not standing in any pretty picture with regard to Israel, my friends. We can pretend that we are, but we're not. There's only one, actually, that stood out in the last 15 years to deliver that kind of a picture, and that's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump that was willing. Whether you like him or not, that's not the point. The fact is that he alone was willing to do what no other politician was willing to do in America, and that is to put our embassy in Jerusalem, where the Congress had many, many years before decreed to happen. Right? It's Donald Trump that has been perceived to be working most directly on behalf of Israel. And that's why they produced a coin with his face on it. Whether you like his face or not, 
whether you like his manner or not, is not the point. The point is, he was a doer, not just a talker. So Israel accepted Donald Trump as their biggest, strongest proponent ever. I'm not pleading a case on behalf of Donald Trump. I'm just telling you what the facts are. Erdogan from Israel accuses the United Nations now, particularly the Security Council, of failing to rise to the defense of both countries, Israel and Ukraine. So, he says, the UN is risking losing all legitimacy. The entire UN system is being held hostage by political interests. The UN has instead been transformed into a weapon against freedom and liberty. Israel and Ukraine are the canaries in the coal mine. To the rest of the world, I say, wake up. Wake up. Russia deepening ties with global axis of evil. It's true. But in a sense, America's doing the same thing. We just have our reasons. Everybody has their reasons, you see. And humankind's reasons may not necessarily be reasonable. They may not be directed by truth. They may not be tr- directed by uh, eleemosynary motivations. In other words, coming from the heart to do what is good, to do what is right. No, they're, they're motivated by many other things, selfishness and pride and ambition, power, lust for power, perks and position. We hear the words, love makes the world go around, but you'd never know it looking at geopolitics, would you? So, now, again, we're talking about Russia. We're talking about the U.S. We're talking about Ukraine. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about the nations of the earth. We're talking about where things are going. And now, today comes this article, Democrats Resurrect Russiagate Just in Time for the 2024 Election. So, the very people that seem to claim so much animosity toward Russia are actually using Russia in order to gain political power and protect political power. So desperate to derail former President Donald Trump's candidacy back in 2016, Democrats used a bogus dossier, you remember that, created by a former British spy to convince voters that Trump was colluding with the Russians to win the election. The investigation triggered by the allegations made in the now-debunked dossier exerted a hugely negative impact on the first three years of that presidency. Then, when the New York Post broke the Hunter Biden laptop story just a few weeks before the November 2020 presidential election, Democrats teamed up with big tech and the media to suppress the story. What happened? Well, it was followed up by a letter signed by 51 former intelligence community leaders, including John Brennan...
who claimed the laptop story had all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. And their claim was 100% fabrication. There wasn't an element of truth in it, and they knew it. They used Russia as a device to fight off Donald Trump. Their letter was utterly false, secretly instigated by the then Biden campaign advisor and current Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. So once again, Democrats are turning again to a contrived Russian disinformation campaign to try to discredit the House Republicans' Biden impeachment inquiry which is all dealing with nefarious activities compromising the allegiance of the President of the United States to our country, to his duties which he swore to uphold. So what has happened now? Well, Russia, I mean, the United States is at it again. With almost two weeks ago, a February 15th, special counsel David Weiss's office announced it had arrested Alexander Smirnov, an FBI informant that had been an informant for the FBI since 2010 for supposedly making false statements to the FBI and creating a false and fictitious record. Doesn't this sound awful much like Vladimir Putin going after Mr. Navalny and then after his lawyer just this week? We're doing exactly the same thing. The Biden administration is doing exactly the same thing, my friends. Who wears the white hat around here? Come on, my friends. Isn't it time for Christians... I don't care what kind of hat you claim to wear, whether an R or a D behind your name, it's time for us to become somewhat independent of all of the nonsense that's going on and look at things from a bigger perspective. We might even get a more godly perspective, but we certainly need to get it in our own individual lives, don't we? You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.